Welcome to 2050 Miles of Poetry with me, Lee. And me, Charlie, on this mm, overcast May day. I've just been out for a run and I don't know if you realise, Lee, but supposedly uh, letterboxes in London or across the UK are supposed to be painted blue for the NHS. I haven't found any. I keep, you know, thinking I'm going to spot one, but no, I haven't seen any. Yeah, that's really weird. Here, the weather is absolutely insane. So it's today it's been absolutely blue sky in the morning. And then it snowed. And now it's uh, kind of overcast. And there's also been blue sky again in between the snow and the overcast. So it's like a bit of everything. All the seasons wrapped have, into one. Oh, oh my. Have you ventured out for your... Um, oh, are you allowed to go out now more than once a day? Yeah, so now the lockdown here is very 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 relaxed even shops are opening again and people seem to be just almost living their normal life now which is quite weird feels very disconcerting (laughs) so you haven't acclimatized (laughs) no i'm like uh yeah still stuck in severe lockdown mode so lee um as you've been in severe lockdown mode have you been practicing sisu which is a finnish mindset i've read about (laughs) Yeah, doesn't it mean like um, strength or something? Yes, it's 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 tapping into your latent power and finding opportunity on, in adversity. Have you been feeling that running through your veins? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one true Sisu. Apologies to any Finnish listeners. <laughs> so, um, so Lee, have you been enjoying my background? Yeah, Charlie's got a kind of what appears to be a car park. Or maybe an old petrol station or something. Clearly it's an underpass, Lee. An underpass. <laughs> Look at those coffers. <laughs> yeah, it's got some coffers a bit like um, Louis Kahn in the, is it the Exeter Library or Louisiana? something? Or the yeah, Yale, Yale Museum or yeah. something. And then there's a poem written there on a massive billboard in a very fetching uh, font. Sounds Are you enjoying font. the black and white as well? Yeah, it's lovely. I'm enjoying those uh, forward slashes. <laughs> is that Thanks one you're going to read? Um, I think this is one I'm going to read, yes. But I'm going to start with another. So um, this is the poet who I'm going to read uh, a couple of their work today. So this is Robert Montgomery. But before we go into that, Charlie, I have exciting news. Oh, tell me, Lee. We have another poem from a listener. I, I, you know, I can't say how excited I am. I'm a little bit concerned. <laughs> <laughs> so this one is a poem that a listener called Grant, who lives in um, Bath, has sent us in. And he's composed this and it's quite long and it's about uh, lockdown life. Would you like to hear it? Is there a benchmark which you're hoping poems uh, exceed and then you're reading them? Or is, is there no benchmark? There's no benchmark. Okay, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> listeners, there's no benchmark. You Send anything me. in. You can contact us on Instagram or 2050milesofpoetry at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah, Send in any old please. crap and we'll read it out. But this one certainly isn't crap. This one is... <laughs> I'm glad you clarified, Lee. From, yep, yeah, a lovely listener named Grant. And it's called Knocking on the Door. 
hear the knocking from my new office floor, that postman's face, I know now standing at the door. I hit refresh on my tablet screen and see the empty streets as if a dream. This cursed blessed cough I hear, yet other sounds bode with fear. The silent shout of unusual times, matched in sync with vaccine fines. I hug my wife and hold her longer still, my furloughed friend I zoom with will. I panic walk and calmly buy and breathe relief at someone else's early sigh. Why does it take social distancing to know our neighbour? Great reunions plan to fight our prior failure. Now more than ever we must dig deep and honour those who must sleep. If a 99-year-old can march 99 laps and a healthcare worker deserves overwhelming claps, if all the good will, good science, good faith can be bottled and paused, would COVID-19 no longer be knocking on our doors? What did you think? I really like the line about the furloughed friend on Zoom. Would you mind just repeating that? That that I found particularly enjoyable. Okay. I hug my wife and hold her longer still. My furloughed friend I Zoom with, Will. Yes, I love that. Do you think maybe the name... maybe we the next poem we should have can be from Will? Yeah. <laughs> so you think Will's the man? I wasn't sure if Will was his friend's name or if Will was like um, you know an act of Will. Oh, I, I think it feels to me like it's his friend's name. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but so Will, if you're listening, please send in a poem where you respond to Grant. So this is kind of like very slow, poetic Zoom. I wonder if there are sort of um, any sort of Zoom writing sessions happening at the moment where um, people are learning how to write poetry. Have you seen anything like that, Lee? Yeah, I have. I've seen Rupi Kaur giving some poetry workshops and things like that on Instagram. Brilliant. So the poet from our first recording. Yeah, exactly. Have you seen any workshops or anything? I I haven't actually, but I will keep my eyes peeled. Mm. But um, and then we'll send through some links. Yeah. Okay. Be good. So so the poet I've chosen uh, for this week is Robert Montgomery, and I find him quite exciting because his poems are quite political, um, and that there is a question as to whether they're poems or whether they're art. Interestingly, he actually started his younger artistic career, making sculptures. And these sculptures would actually have very long titles, and that was the poem. But slowly this has morphed into billboards, um, which are, as Lee described, white font on black. The font is Futura. They're very um, stark and they're very accessible. And I think that's what I really like about his work. Um, and I think, Lee, you find him quite earnest, but I really enjoy his work. And I was wishing, actually, on all my socially distant walks that there was more public art in London. And um, one thing that we put in the Instagram was um, a poem by Lem Sissy, which has been routed into the stone in an urban park uh, in South London near the Thames. And it just I just wonder why there isn't more... Uh, poetry and art in the public sphere and it seems to me that at the moment is the perfect time for more of this and more thoughts and questions as people have more mental capacity perhaps to deal with thoughts and poetry and they have more perhaps scope to question things. Yeah I guess there's a whole kind of conversation about public art isn't there and the value of that in comparison to spending money on other things, you know, within the public realm, if if 
that budget could be used for something that uh, maybe is more immediately beneficial. I mean, you see a lot of terrible public art that you can't help but think, why did they spend money on that? But I think what I like about um, the poems that you've been showing by Robert Montgomery on the billboards and things is that they're clearly kind of temporary. So there's this kind of uh, temporal aspect and it's almost like you appreciate it more when it's only there for a short period of time. Yeah, I think that's true and it, it takes your eye to certain things and certain things in the city. So let me start with the first poem. And amusingly, this has actually been sitting for a long time um, in my bathroom. <laughs> and are you sat in your bathroom at the moment? <laughs> I'm sadly not sat in my bathroom. Because you have put a background on our Zoom call, which makes me think that you're not sat at your normal desk. I think you're... <laughs> I could be anywhere, Lee. I could, I could be out in the park really now as I'm allowed to be... Uh, doing exercise as much as I want. So I could be walking around. You will never know. (laughs) The city is a magic sculpture we live inside. When the rain comes, the buildings remember wild other clifftops. Eagles live on the rooftops, not as symbols, just as eagles. They remember the sky. Money is a superstition. And I've had that on the back of my uh, toilet door for a while hanging and um yeah I've I think it's a very beautiful poem and interestingly when I was doing a little bit of research um into Robert Montgomery because since seeing his work um at the Victoria Miro Gallery in East London um and just seeing his work portrayed in pictures and not actually knowing much about him and then having that picture in my bathroom for so long it's been really nice actually to have time to research him a little bit more and find the meaning in his work Mm. and understand a little bit more about his work and I think that's a refreshing thing about this time that we've got more time collectively to explore things that interest us and one one thing that I've enjoyed is I found a photograph of the poem that I just read but collaged onto a building Uh, in Hammersmith where there are four different billboards and one door the door has money as a superstition printed on it Uh, the other billboards Mm. have the city is a magic sculpture we live inside when the rain comes the buildings remember wild other cliff tops they remember the sky is on another billboard and eagles live on rooftops not as symbols just as eagles is on another so I think it's interesting that how these poems are still quite fragmentary and they can be mm, quite spatial as well very is... spatial what did you think of that poem did you like it did you think yeah, it was I a poem it. yeah yeah like you said a second ago that i do think they're quite earnest but that's not necessarily a bad thing this thing about money is a superstition i like and it reminded me of something i've been reading about a lot this week which is uh this kind of economic theory called modern monetary theory which is Basically, the idea that uh, as if you have your own kind of sovereign uh, wealth, sovereign money, not wealth, sovereign like currency, like the pound or the dollar, then you can never run out of money. So money isn't really real. It's just this kind of thing that you can basically make more of. And inflation is the only boundary to that. Are you considering investing in a printer? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, first I have to make my own country and then <laughs> make my own sovereign currency called the Lee and then print as much as I want, yeah. Because I don't really care about inflation because I'm the only one living here. So exactly. I can just buy stuff from other, uh, other nations. 
Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, so that money is a superstition thing seemed quite fitting for um, some stuff that I've been reading about this week. That's interesting. <laughs> Um, I was listening to a um, recording by Robert and um, he was explaining what he meant by this poem. Um, okay. And he was referencing the eagle and basically saying it's interesting how a lot of uh, brands related to money, such as American Express, have taken uh, something sort of freeing like the bird and sort of stolen it in a way and taken it away from the joy and sort of used it as a marketing tool related to their currency, which I think is quite yeah, interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. I didn't really get that from the poem because um, in the poem he says something about eagles landing on the roof and then he says not in stone, which kind of makes me think of like gargoyles and stuff. He says not as symbols, just as eagles. Okay, so that was me reading that as like gargoyles, whereas he meant more like brands and things. And but I think maybe there's a couple of ways we can read it. A bit it. of both, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I almost like the idea that a city is a magic sculpture, just uh, mm. just a really simple idea that there is more beauty than what we see um, at first sight, and there is a lot of depth in the city, and maybe that's just exciting for me from a design perspective when you keep. Uh, uncovering things in a city you lived in a while. I don't know whether you find yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. So you've got the magic city and then you've got the magic money tree that makes money as a superstition. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Let me read you another one, yeah. So one thing that's quite interesting about Robert Montgomery, which I quite like, is that he's a bit of a Robin Hood character. Mm. So um, I'd be interested, actually, Lee, as to why you think he's earnest, maybe to start with, if that's okay. I just think... The poems are, they're very moral and I find them, they're quite instructive. Like there was a lot of I's and you and statements. Like if you move to the side slightly so I can read the one behind you. So it's all kind of quite certain statements. Like modernism is a psychic something or another. It's like there's no blurred boundaries. It's very like straightforward. Uh, but in a kind of presenting these things that are basically opinions, but in a factual way, which maybe I agree with a lot of them, but I still find it slightly earnest because he's just being really honest, which you don't hear that often. Like he's not being glib at all. He's just saying what he means and saying it in quite a preachy way, mm. which I don't think that's a bad thing. If anything, it's very genuine and very honest, uh, but it does. It's quite unusual to read things that have those qualities. And I think the word that I would use to describe those qualities is, would be earnest. Interesting. So the, the poem that uh, you're reading from, I'll read next then. Okay. Modernism is a psychic love wave, a big gush of sky breath, a shimmer of kindness, sung by the ancient earth. It is in the silver, voices of the wind in the trees. It is wild and high in the beauty of the wind turbines that will one day sky the hair of the troglodyte trump <laughs> <laughs> i don't know maybe i didn't interpret that because i sort of i would like to agree with him and believe believe what he says but perhaps you are correct yeah well it was interesting hearing him talk about modernism and he was saying that he wanted to reclaim it in a way and the hope from the modernist era he like a lot of creatives is very demoralised by what's been happening in recent years. 
with Brexit um, and with Donald Trump uh, coming to power um, and rises of nationalism. And I think he wanted to, in a way, get back to that post-war modernism feeling where, in a way, some of the furniture that was designed at that time came out of a design parameter where you wanted surfaces that could be easily cleaned uh, so that there wasn't such a spread of tuberculosis. So I, I know that, and, and you know, post-World War, so everybody's feeling optimistic and they want to build a positive future. It sounds to me like he really wants to reclaim the beauty of modernism. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I don't think that that's, you know, contradicted by my feelings or my comment of him being earnest. Because if you think of postmodernism or something, that was very ironic and kind of sneery and like, oh, we're doing these clever things because we can. It was kind of the opposite of what you're talking about. And I think in terms of poetry, uh, yeah, you definitely couldn't say that he's kind of postmodern. Yeah, I agree with you. He's modern and that's a good thing. And we should all aim for a bit more modernism and a bit more hopefulness, especially now. Cool. Well, I'll be earnest as well. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't suit you, Lee. <laughs> I feel I feel quite strange. That almost feels a bit dirty, being so earnest. <laughs> I think they're good qualities, though. What do you think? Did you take that as an offence when I said that about his work? <laughs> no, no, I was just intrigued. But but maybe okay. I like it because I think that I can be a bit earnest. Who knows? Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, one more thing I really like about him as an artist is he's a bit of a Robin Hood artist. So um, I know that he's lived in uh, East London for a long time. I think he lived on Curtain Road and this amused him because he felt like one of the last artists still living there. And therefore he saw the um, rampant commercialism as the area changed. And I know that um, why he wanted to put these billboards uh, out there and paste over advertisements was because he didn't like that we were all just constantly becoming uh, mindless consumers whether yeah. we wanted to or not and it yeah, was that's in, a good logic it's a good logic and i think he, you mm. know he like a lot of people is shocked by the idea that we carry these quite large screens around with us probably maybe a sixth of what an old tv used to be in scale yeah. scale would you say yeah. and and that we have this constant advertising and I think he wanted to sort of change this and why I feel like he's quite a Robin Hood-like character before he got to the point as an artist when he was um, doing these billboards he he found out that you could uh, buy a Allen key from Halfords and open up um, the advertisements at the size of bus stops and he would mm. put in his own work and I think he was doing that for five years and he got stopped by a policeman once. And um, this one time, I think, and it happened in the Hoxton area, he managed to persuade the policeman about the power of poetry. And, and that I <laughs> quite <right>. like. <laughs> yeah. I think, though, he's got a good point. Um, I was reading a few months ago this book by a Finnish architect called, uh, I think her name's Karin Pajpele or something. Mm -hmm. And we'll put a link to her in the links below the podcast. But she did this study about the procurement of bus shelters in Helsinki. Mm -hmm. And basically they were procured by this French or they were procured by the city from this French company called JC Decau. And the contract they signed was really dodgy and they basically had all these exclusivity clauses and things. And 
that company basically controls all the advertising in Helsinki now for the past like 20 years and foreseeable future. And it's quite scary that your urban environment can be controlled by commercial operations like that. And that it's so invasive, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. So there's one other thing that I think is quite interesting about Robert and it ties him into some of the other poets we've been reading. I read that at 13 to 14 years old, he was really interested in the poets Philip Larkin, Ted Hughes and Sylvia Plath. And he liked the reflective space of poetry. So this, I think, is intriguing as to sort of where he stands on whether he is an artist or he is a poet or is he, again, Mm. one of these creatives who tiptoes along the tightrope between various disciplines. Has he published poetry books or is it solely through his artistic work? It is solely through his artistic work, but actually you can buy books with pictures of his billboards Mm. and bus stops. Okay, that's quite interesting. Yeah, when is something a picture and when is something a poem or a written word? Exactly. Like the Bob Cobbing things. Exactly. And um, there's one interesting thing about means of production as well. Um, Mm. I know that throughout his work, so he is currently... Uh, 48 years old and was born in 1972 and I know that as he's matured he has started to move slightly away from billboards and more towards things that he can actually make himself so more towards paintings still with poem and type on them but something where I think he's more in control and less of a project manager in a way because Mm. he was describing in some of the things I listened to how actually when he was putting one of these billboards up, he had to manage a whole team and a guy from Essex. (laughs) And and, and, um, it's nice for him to have more control over his work again. I think I saw one of his works that was set on fire. So it was like these these fonts, but in like, um, I don't know what they were made of, metal or something, but then with some kind of like uh, flammable surface. That's right, so yes. So they were like burning. That, that was quite cool. And again, sort of um, plays with those ideas of time and something being impermanent and stuff. Yeah, that's really cool. And th- there's some more of his work he's done as well with light. But um, I can tell you a little bit more about that later, if you like. I can save that one back. Uh, okay, so, great. So I'd love to hear um, what you've prepared for me today, Lee. Yeah, so I thought I would read some from Tim Key because I was interested in the idea that Robert Montgomery was treading that line between art and poetry. And Tim Key is treading the line between comedy and poetry. So he's a Perrier award-winning comedian. So that's the Edinburgh Comedy Award, basically. And he won that in 2009. So are they both Scottish, Lee? He's not Scottish, ah. no. So that's just at the Edinburgh Festival. You know? Okay. That's just the award at the Edinburgh Festival. I thought, I thought yeah. you might have considered that another no, link no, between no. them. <laughs> <laughs> but they are similar age. So Tim Key was born in 1976. And essentially his act, they're quite interesting stage shows. So he, he reads these poems, but he also has some short films and some uh, props and things. So he's had a bath that he's been submerged in and a bed and things like that. Um, and definitely if you have a chance to see him, I think he performs quite regularly in London. With, with, a, with a bathtub? <laughs> Not anymore with a bathtub, but oh, right. something else maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, so I wanted to read some of them. And I thought it was interesting because 
uh, Robert Montgomery, as we have discussed, is quite a genuine, quite politically earnest. And I thought that a lot of Tim Keys are quite the opposite of that. They're quite glib. They're quite off the cuff. You get the feeling that he hasn't really thought about it at all. <laughs> and that he's almost just typing whatever's come into his head. Uh, but recently he's been doing a series of semi-political ones. Uh, so I thought I would read a couple of those and then just read some other ones that give you a better idea of his more normal work because these political ones are slightly uh, atypical. So this one is titled Poem. Sunday, Bonson went up to the church. He barged a couple of biddies out of the way and splatted down on a pew at the back. He prized his fists apart with his teeth and began to pray. Dear God, I've got a lovely little dicky. He doesn't need to know that, Bonds. Mogoth's head had appeared next to Bonson's thigh. Bonson stroked Mogoth's hair and touched the corner of his thin mouth with his knuckle. Does God love me, do we think, Mogoth? Mogoth's face was waxen, colourless. He was stretched right out along the pew and then folded round and stretched out along the pew in front and then folded round again and stretched out halfway along that pew too. So that's the first one that I'd like to read, uh, that I've read. <laughs> and can you take a guess and, and who I'm those feel, characters are based on. I, I am. I am struck by the fact that I don't feel like that was a poem. But um... okay, what would you say that was? Short story. A short story. <laughs> <laughs> but a how cartoon? is it any less of a poem than um, Robert Montgomery's? I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. I might need a couple more to try and digest. But um, <laughs> somehow I feel like that could be a really good like New Yorker cartoon. Like a blurb mm. that went with a cartoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Have you got an idea of who the two characters there are based on? Bonson and Mogoth? Bonson sounds like Johnson. <laughs> yeah, Boris Johnson. <laughs> and Mogoth? Oh, help Jacob me. Jacob Rees-Mogg. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so it's even better when you start to imagine Boris Johnson and Jacob Rees-Mogg in these positions, in these scenarios. <laughs> So basically he's been doing this series where the premise seems to be that the characters of Bonson and Mogoth or Boris Johnson and Jacob Rees-Mogg live together and they end up in all kinds of strange situations together. So I'll read one more. Wow, so they've been sheltering through COVID together. It's quite yeah, sweet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, this one's Socially also Socially isolating called... together. Yeah, this one's also called Poem. Mogoth was using his thumb and forefinger to extract semen from the cat. I say, Mogpiece. Bonson stopped in his tracks and observed the sport for a moment. Yes, Bonds? Mogoth looked up. His eyes were as black as fleas and as smooth as jade. Uh, I just wanted to chat about the old you-know-what. Bonson had the Sunday papers in his little wheelbarrow. He was wearing a badge he'd been given at the hospital for being brave. Mogoth continued to tease the cat's penis absentmindedly. I'll be through imminently, Bongleby. Bonson kissed his badge, reversed his barrow back out, and tumbled over himself into the playroom. Again, I feel like it's a story, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's very uh, the opposite of Robert Montgomery in many ways. Yeah, it's... Political, but kind of glib and meaningless. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's, not, it's not really a hopeful future, but quite a depressing one. <laughs> Uh, a depressing present, I'd say. A depressing present, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I quite enjoy it. Um, I do, I do they're, enjoy they're, it. It's very comical. Yeah. They're very atypical of his actual poems. So I thought I would read 
one of his uh, published poems and try and convince you that he is a poet because you said in our short correspondence when I sent you a few of these political ones that you really didn't think he was a poet. And I was a bit gobsmacked. <laughs> uh, so this one's called Long-Termism. Barry went to the shops and bought everything he needed for the rest of his life. The carrier bags were so heavy. He got chatting with Mrs York on the way home and after 20 minutes or so, the handles sliced his fingers off. <laughs> it's, it's very dark. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that's more of a poem or less of a poem? I, 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 I yeah. For somehow well, I did feel like that was more of a poem, but... Uh... Yeah. Well, he's very influenced by a Russian poet called Daniel Carms. Right. And... Tim Key studied Russia, uh, Russian at Sheffield University. And he's also done a really good Radio 4 documentary about Daniel Carms. And I thought I would read a Daniel Carms poem for you. And great. see if that kind of contextualizes his work and maybe makes you feel that it's more legitimately poetry. Brilliant. When, when was, I haven't heard of this Russian poet, so perhaps you could um, put him in a timeline for me. Yeah, so Daniel Carms was born in 1905 and died in 1942. And he was an early Soviet-era avant-gardist and absurdist poet. Absurdist, I see. So that's the context we're in, in a way. Yeah, so here's one. There was a red-haired man who had no eyes or ears. Neither did he have any hair, so he was called red-haired, theoretically. He couldn't speak since he didn't have a mouth. Neither did he have a nose. He didn't even have any arms or legs. He had no stomach and he had no back and he had no spine and he had no innards whatsoever. He had nothing at all. Therefore, there's no knowing whom we are even talking about. In fact, it's better that we don't say any more about him. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it's, quite, it's, it's quite a black humour. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I see what you I'll, like. Maybe I'll read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is again what you're saying. Cynical and dark. I, I think we have the opposite taste. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> so I'll read one more, and then maybe we can just talk more generally. But uh, this one's poem six hundred and twenty-two, "The Wooden Man." Pinocchio, the wooden chap whose snout grows when he speaks shit told 30 lies in a row so that it got to about eight foot. Then he switched the telly on without getting up. His date, Nikki, was embarrassed and appalled. That's the end of that one. <laughs> yeah. For me, somehow, it, they feel more like little anecdotes. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the difference. I don't, I don't know. What makes a poem a poem or not? That's quite interesting. Well, we've discussed this a little bit in previous episodes, haven't we, with things like uh, rhyming, that neither of us particularly like poems that rhyme. Would that be true? I think I like or them more we... than you do. <laughs> you like them, yeah. <laughs> uh, but with like the Emily Berry ones and the Holly Pester ones, I wouldn't say they're that much different than this in terms of like 
construction. Some of those are incredibly short and not that different than prose, wouldn't you say? I'm used to poems with more imagery, maybe that's it, and they seem sort Mm. of less about a little, uh, a short happening which is, yeah. is what these poems yes. feel like. I More imagery in it. Maybe the exciting thing about poetry is its sheer breadth. breadth yeah. And and sort of what it encompasses. And maybe that's why it's quite exciting for us to explore this. Yeah, yeah. What did you think of the Daniel Carms one? I thought it was very dark, but I did think mm. it was quite vivid. Like the red and the innards <laughs> stuck with me. <laughs> it's clever though, isn't it? It's very clever. Like... It starts in one place and then it ends in a completely unexpected place. Yeah. And that's what I like about those. And I think that uh, Tim Key's ones are quite similar. And this was actually another one that I day marked that I think kind of illustrates that. Um, it's called For My Passenger's Sake. There was a gap in the track and the train was heading right for it. The train driver noticed this and hated it. He threw down his sandwich and sprung into action. He tried to jump out of his cabin and throw himself into the gap to act as additional track so the train could keep going. This obviously didn't even come close to working. His back was ripped to shreds and the train bounced into a forest. Maybe this is the, in a way, the interesting difference between Robert Montgomery's work and Tim's work because I think Robert Montgomery is trying to um, create sort of almost this surrealist wrapper around the world and emphasise mm. certain things. But maybe Tim's work is a, is a lot more... It's, it, it's shining a light on reality, perhaps. I mean, that's really interesting that you would say that when they're all so based in absurdism. Like, isn't that interesting that you think that they're exploring reality when they're so clearly about situations that are, like, unreal? Like the idea of someone throwing themselves onto the train track, thinking that the train would like, you know, that their body would work as track. <laughs> it's yeah, kind but, of like, but, 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 but somehow... That... Or the person's fingers getting chopped off by the shopping bags. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think that's valid because it is like shining a light on these, these normal situations and maybe highlighting how just strange everyday life is or how strange people's thoughts are or something i think that's it maybe that's what's quite interesting about his work is that he's sort of continuing the everyday in somebody's through their mind's eye yeah sort of like warped mindset or something yeah yeah and i've heard him speak about his process and apparently he just literally writes them (laughs) <laughs> so so that is what, how he thinks about things <laughs> yeah so he just sits down and then he just writes and then that's it <laughs> he doesn't like go back and do drafts or anything which i think is quite admirable very admirable <laughs> but i think also i'm not doing them justice uh in terms of how i read them because i think that you've said before that uh, you haven't done justice to some of the poems you've read and i think certainly i'm not I think that you have to see him perform them because he reads them almost as if he's reading them for the first time and that he doesn't know what's coming. And he'll sometimes like do little asides like, it's a bit weird, isn't it? It's very strange. But I like that because that's, that's how I feel like I've digested them. (laughs) I have not known what has happened. Like, uh, yeah. Did did that really happen with the shopping bag? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's in a way why I took it as it's very uh, everyday because it hasn't quite sunk in 
the dark mm. little turn at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think maybe we can do some more Russian poetry in a future episode because I think Daniel Kams would be interesting to read more and then maybe that will shine more light on this episode as well. That would be exciting. So stay tuned, listeners. <laughs> that would be really exciting. Please, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so Lee, I said that I was going to read a little bit more of Robert Montgomery's work to you. And uh, we talked about his uh, fire art um, and also all poems and also um, his light poems. His light poems are quite interesting because uh, of how they're generated. So although you said Tim's work, it's not work through and work through and perhaps it's not so hyper concept as the fact that Robert Montgomery's work often uses a future font which is actually a modernist font so he has that thread of something being very concept driven mm. running all the way through mm. um so with his light work the power source is solar power so the quite okay. the quite beautiful thing is that um on a bright day the the work will read more strongly and on a darker day it'll be more subtle which i think is quite poetic okay yeah that is interesting so let me read this one which is and the trees are sentinels of something standing there between the buildings breathing like horses all night one thing as well which is interesting about his work is that um it's all essentially anonymous nothing has a name and nothing Mm. has his name after it so and i think that's again one of the quite refreshing things about it any everyday person walking past it can take something from it that they want to take from it. Mm. So it becomes yeah, more accessible. Really yeah. Do you, did you appreciate, enjoy that? Was it not uh, wry enough for your delight levels? What is a sentinel? Like a guard or a lookout or something? Yeah, yeah I imagine them as, you know, those um, black-hatted dudes. What are they called? You know, out, outside the Buckingham Palace. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I don't know what they're called. Beef eaters? Or is that something else? That's something else, isn't it? Maybe that's something else. I think, you know, we're, we're clearly showing that we're not royalists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's nice from, uh, you know, like our profession being architects. It's nice to think of trees in the landscape in the city and that they have that function of kind of looking out for the city and providing clean air and things and making spaces, giving kind of nicer scale to spaces and things like that but I think that's what I kind of get from that what do you get from it um I think that what Robert wanted to say with it was how ancient trees are and that's something I've Mm. been enjoying during lockdown that's one of the quite beautiful things that if you walk through fairly green cities you can sort of see trees that are 20 meters or so high and note oh that must have been there a long time and there's something i think quite beautiful about that and i think that that's what um i think that robert is trying to talk about that there's something comforting about the fact that these trees have been there for a long time in our city you know yeah definitely more trees in cities but yeah, all the poems are quite simple and short. Yeah, like that one was very similar to a Tim Key poem in uh, construction, wasn't it? It was. <laughs> <laughs> but but something bad didn't happen at the end of it, like a tree didn't fall down. <laughs> okay, read it again and try and add a line at the end to make it into a Tim Key one. Well, I, th- I think it would end um, and then the tree was felled. Or and then um, and then there was a storm or something. I think that it that would, that would be you know. It would start with someone's name, like um, 
Charlie looked at the tree between the buildings, stood there like sentinels. Then it fell over and killed her. <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. So, um, um, would you like one more, Lee? Yeah, I'd love one more. A political one. Yes. I just, I, I think it's quite interesting that a lot of people at the moment are saying that what's happening at the moment can be a bit like a rewriting, and it means there's more scope for a slightly different future. So maybe this would be a very mm. good time for Robert Montgomery to sort of start writing some more um, of these and popping them around cities and reminding everybody about modernism. Um, I, kn- I know he did one for the NHS and we should put that on our Instagram, but that's not the one I'm going to read. I'm going to just read this one. And the screens that circle you like butterflies, now all your tomorrows turn to electric waterfalls. Modernism isn't a style. Modernism is a dream of fair taxation and gender equality, a rise of beauty and kindness, a blind dream of love, a promise of civilization. Yeah, that reminds me a bit of this documentary that you sent me, actually, by Gary Hustwick called Helvetica. And that had interviews with a lot of um, modernist graphic designers. And it kind of went through the history of graphic design through the kind of lens of the font Helvetica and what strikes you is that these uh, early modernist graphic designers are very dogmatic about their principles and they can't understand anything frivolous and that's it they, they have like good morals but they don't seem to have much fun <laughs> <laughs> oh well I'm going to give you one more then so you see that perhaps he can promote fun and I like this okay. an art of kissing each other wildly in bank queues an art of shouting poems in shopping centres. An art of politics and tears and joy and heartbreak. And I quite like that one because I'm, I'm, I'm missing, you know, sitting in coffee shops very mm. simply, uh, being surrounded by people and just doing my yeah. thing. And I Where just was think, that one displayed? Uh, I can't actually find when that was where that was displayed but I found a picture of it on the floor before it was posted up somewhere and it's quite interesting it loses a lot of its power I think when it's not actually on a billboard and Mm. you can't really gauge the full scale of it and I would love to walk past some more of these in London at scale so Robert Montgomery yeah that's an interesting thing actually isn't it yeah because they're obviously quite short poems but then to see them that big must have quite an impact exactly exactly and the one that you're looking with the screen behind me is under mm. the Hammersmith underpass. So the width is almost half the scale yeah. of that road. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I'll definitely check out some more of his work. One more Tim Key one? Yes, please. Poem 982, Too Much Chewing Gum in One Go. So quickly, Lee, it's quite interesting that none of his poems that's another perhaps similarity of them that their poems are sort of titleless both of them yeah they are like i'll show you this book this is called the incomplete tim key and you can see the titles are basically just irrelevant <laughs> and i think it's quite interesting because when he performs them he he has all the poems printed onto these pornographic playing cards <laughs> So, uh-huh. yeah, so the crowd can just see basically a picture of someone naked and then he's reading the poem. And I think that he doesn't know which poem he's going to read at any time. So he basically has the pack of playing cards. And I think 
he chooses maybe like 20 of them or something to have in his pocket or have on the stage. And then he just kind of randomly chooses them. And sometimes if he doesn't fancy reading them, he'll just kind of lob one across the stage and pick a different <laughs> one. And then he just reads it. And then sometimes it doesn't get a laugh, but it's over so quickly that it doesn't matter and he's into the next one or into something else. And I went to one show of his at The Invisible Dot, which used to be a comedy club in King's Cross. And he basically put all this like fishing wire across the over the audience. Oh, and all wow. the playing cards were hung on clips like over the top of the audience. And then members of the audience would have to like grab them and throw them to him or he'd be like crawling over the audience, grabbing them from above their heads and things that like that. That sounds brilliant. Yeah, so he's, yeah, so he's quite playful. I like it. Yeah, definitely. And there's like a big performative aspect to them that I don't think you're going to get through this podcast. So <laughs> definitely yeah. go and see him. <laughs> yeah, an audience I can't see like a pornographic playing card. So, so, yeah, exactly. so we, we haven't got I mean... that going on. <laughs> okay, so here we go. Poem 982, too much chewing gum in one go. Elizabeth put 70 packets of chewing gum in her mouth all at once. It was too much gum. Her jaws fell off and she died. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Maybe we can find um, some more similarities. Do you know, do you know anything about like um, Tim's family, like what his mother did? For work. Uh, <laughs> I can try and find out why. What did um, Robert's Ro- mother Robert's do mother work? was a hairdresser, you know, and I just wonder, okay. I don't know, I, I, I wonder like how that experience of um, wh- whether an experience of coming into contact with lots of different people helps make you a poet or an artist, like wanting mm. to share your work. Yeah, I think though Tim's route to poetry is quite interesting. Like obviously, as I said, he studied uh, Russian at university. And then this is a really good story that probably I'm not going to do justice to. Go for it. But he basically then moved to Cambridge back with his parents, which is where his parents were from. And he harboured this kind of unrealistic idea that he should be an actor. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Hence the performance thing. Yeah. Yeah. So in Cambridge, he saw like an advert or something for the Cambridge Footlights, which obviously is supposed to be only for students. But he went along to this thing and auditioned for the footlights and he got accepted. So for about a year, he was pretending that he was a student at Cambridge University while he was part of the footlights and putting on all these plays and basically like blagging his way through it, pretending that he was studying there and pretending that he was went to a college. And I think his cover story was that he was doing a PhD in Russian uh, novels or something, Russian literature. I love it. So and they're apparently... both they're both mavericks in a way. Though, yeah, exactly. They? Yeah, something they have so in like, common. Yeah, it's amazing. And then he got found out, but they didn't chuck him out. They still let him stay there. And... <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> That's story. basically his whole career has come from that. Brilliant. Blagging it at the start. Yeah. Which is quite interesting, isn't it? Because that's just a way to get all the advantages of having gone to Cambridge without being clever enough to go. No offense, Tim. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm quite happy to leave it there. Well, that was great, Charlie. Thanks for introducing me to Robert Montgomery. Definitely going to check out a few more of his poems. And thank you, Lee. That was a complete pleasure. And I wish you a lovely weekend in Helsinki. And hopefully, you know, we can both find a little bit more poetry on the streets or elsewhere to inspire us. Yeah, great. And listeners, feel free to send in some more poems. And let us know what you thought of the ones we've read. Yeah, and obviously Lee Lee is very lax, so please send anything through. 
<laughs> yeah, I'll read anything. I read Tim Key this week, so. <laughs> Aloha. Bye.